I'm going to recap just a little bit here. But um, Jesus is talking to the disciples and here in John chapter 4, uh, starting, I'm just going to read two verses. And Jesus says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvesting. But I say, wake up and look around. In other words, you got to plant a seed, you got to give it some time, all these types of things. But Jesus is telling him, he's saying, hey, pay attention, guys. Like, look up. The message translation says, I'm telling you to open your eyes and take a good look at what's right in front of you. The fields are already ripe for harvest. It says the harvesters are paid good wages, and the fruit that they harvest is people brought to eternal life. As a believer, you have two main responsibilities. So if you're like, I have no clue what God wants me to do or why God created me, I'm about to help you out. Because I'm going to give you the two reasons that God created you, first and foremost. Number one, it is to know him. Like personally, not about him, not come to church because somebody told you to. Like you can actually know the creator of heaven and earth. Like very personally. And and so that's your first responsibility. Why? Because you can't tell what you don't know. Right? Right? You need to have some experience where it's like, hey, this is more than just religion. There's actual real relationship and real change that's happened in my life. Like, don't go tell somebody else's story about life change. Tell your story about what Jesus has done for you. Why? Because people know you. They trust you. And so the first part is that you got to know God. Like, you really have to have a relationship with Jesus. And the second aspect is go tell some people about what Jesus has done in you. So we're to know God and we're to what? Help other people come to know him. It is our our primary responsibilities. Now, you can get into how we do those things and that's all secondary things. But primary, it is the gospel that matters. The gospel is good news. And and so we have a responsibility. and, And according to Jesus here, And we even looked in another passage last week that talked about this. Is that, and he says, look up. Why? Because there is harvest all around you. See, there's a bunch of harvest. The problem that we have, and I shared this last week, is we have a a, a worker shortage. And I don't know that it's necessarily an unwillingness as much as it is a, I'm not sure how to. Like, that's great. You want me to do that, but how do I share my faith? Like, that whole idea just freaks me out like that makes me nervous i like even the thought of it like my palms start sweating i'm like what would i say and i'm gonna sound stupid and all of these things and so part of my goal is to number one is to inspire you that's one thing that i hope that you get out of this number two i hope that you take as a personal responsibility what we're sharing i really do and the third thing is to equip you and how to do it like last week, I don't remember exactly all of them, but one of my, my tips for you when sharing your faith is to be you. Like, don't talk like Monty Python and the Holy Grail, because you don't talk like that. You don't talk in Elizabethan English. And if you do, let's talk. That could be fun. But you don't. Like, just be you. Why? Because God created you the way you are to reach certain people. And, and so these are things that you can do. That just are practical things. But God is looking for people that will say yes. So many times we want to tell God why we can't. How about we just say yes and then watch him do it through us even in spite of us. Because trust me, if it were up to me, I would not be the guy up here. 
Some of you don't know this. I failed speech three times in college. One, two, three. Three times. I had so much fun the first time I thought I'd just keep doing it. You have no idea the amount of anxiety that it gave me. You know, people are less afraid of death than public speaking. Did you know that? Some of you are like, "Mm mm-hmm, don't call me up there. But what God is looking for is for our yes. He's looking for us to say, whatever you want. Here I am, use me, whatever that looks like. And and, and so last week, I, I... I really uh, asked you some questions, had a challenge for you as well. And we'll get into those. Let me recap real quick. I got to hurry up because I'm already behind. See, it's funny. Used to, I couldn't talk for five minutes and now I can't shut up. Right. You know, and so it's kind of the funny reverse. But no, I asked you the question last week. of What would you say if someone asked you, why do you go to church? And, and so we talked about this is that the goal of following Christ is not just to come to church. That's not the extent of our Christian life. The goal of church is to help us follow Jesus and to equip us and energize us to share our faith. That's why we come together. In other words, it's a pit stop. We come, put some air in the tires, add some gasoline to the tank, maybe add some oil if that's what we need. And so we come to church and guess what? The if you, I'm not a huge racing fan. I mean, I get that it's left turn, left turn, left turn, and left turn. I get that, right? For the mo- well, unless you do Formula One or something like that. But if it's NASCAR, it's left turns. But every now and then, they divert and take another left and go into the pit row. And they're going to change out their tires. They're going to air things up. They're going to do this work to the car. Why? To get it ready to run the race. Church is that. It's a pit stop for our soul and our spirit. Is it, excuse me. We come to church to get empowered to actually go run our race. So it's not just to come to church to check the box and say, well, I was here, present. I know none of you ever skipped school and like went in early in the morning and, you know, back in the, back in at least my earlier years, they would actually take rolling class. And then when I got to middle school, you know, after, after I was present, you know, it didn't matter if I was in class anymore. Anybody else do that? Anybody else know what I'm talking about? Y'all are too saved, okay? Y'all trying to act too holy in this church. How many skippers are in this room? Your kids ain't in here right now. Well, you might if you have teenagers. No, we want to be more than just present at church, making an appearance. We want to get something. And so we looked at this last week as 1 Peter 3.15 says that we should always be prepared Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope that we have. And we're to do this with gentleness and respect. That's important. When we're sharing our faith, deliver the message in a way that it can be received. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been around uh, or, or had a moment where somebody's wearing a sign. And it's like, you know, you're going to hell. Like, that's real encouraging. It might be factually true, but it's relationally hard to swallow. So why don't we put a little bit of sugar with the medicine? Because it helps the medicine go down. It doesn't mean that we change it. It doesn't mean that we water it down. 
But what I'm saying is how people interact with me affects how they interact with Jesus. It does. And the way that you interact with people can actually affect their ability to respond to Jesus. And so we need to look at these things. And so, so my challenge was this. All right. So, well, let me back up a little bit. I thought about this this week. And I thought if I would have like told you that I was going to give you like a steak dinner or something, if you did my challenge, I figured a lot more of you would have done it. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands how many of you did it, but there are certificates on your way out today. If you did my challenge, you just need to show your work, you know. And you know how they do that in school, show your work. I'm kidding. I don't have steak certificates for you. But I would have had a higher participation, I know that, if I did. Some of you are like, how can I do this before the end of service? Here's my work. Now, my challenge was this, which is the question, which is why are you following Christ? And, and specifically, I'd ask you to write it out, like to sit down and think about it. Why? Because the Bible says you should always be ready to give an account for the hope that you hold to. If you hadn't thought about it, you don't have an answer. Always means always, even in the Greek. Always be ready to share why you serve Jesus. What has Jesus done for you? And well, I go to church is not a good enough answer. It's just not. And so we need to, to have our story. We need to understand why we're following Christ. And it's not just, well, I was born into it. You need to have a moment that you encounter Jesus. I grew up in church, but I encountered Jesus as an almost 17-year-old. And my life was changed in that moment. I was having a conversation uh, with a friend of mine this week, and he was talking to me, just sharing some things with me. He's like, man, I'm questioning if I'm even saved. And he was just, and he had a few reasons why. He's just struggling in his mind. And my answer to him was, the fact that you're asking the question tells me that you probably are. But here's how I, how I see it from Scripture. Is that when people encounter Jesus, they begin to change. It's a process. Everything didn't change all at once, but things begin to shift. And so if you're concerned about, am I saved or not? Did you, met, did you meet Jesus and have you changed? Are you changing? Why? Because he continually is working on the inside of us. And this is what I know. A stale faith shouldn't be shared. A vibrant faith should be shared. Why? Because you ever ate stale crackers or chips? I mean, I'm a chip connoisseur. Another, not, not as nice way to say it, I'm a chip snob. If that bad boy is a little bit stale, like, nope, we're moving on. I want it crisp, I want it fresh. And, and our faith needs to be fresh on the inside of us when we're sharing it with people. Mark 16, starting in verse uh, 15 it says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so i've got good news here's you another tip if you don't know how to share your faith start with your pet <laughs> practice practice makes perfect go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature like do all dogs go to heaven i don't know I think I know where cats go, but that's another. <laughs> I'm kidding. 
I'm kidding. Lighten up a little bit. If your dog doesn't get saved, just keep trying. If your cat don't get saved, just move on. No, just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Now it says, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. It says, he who does not believe will be condemned. It says, all these signs will follow those who believe. It says, in my name, they will cast out devils. And you're like, yeah, I'm out. The only reason you're out is because the devil has fooled you into thinking he's stronger than you are. I prayed that scripture over our students a few minutes ago. Greater is he on the inside of me than he that is in the world. In my name, they will cast out demons. What that really means is you have authority over demonic powers. If you understand who you are in Christ, that's a big if, but it it is important that you understand that. But Jesus said, I've given you all power and authority. But you have to enforce it. And so he says, in my name, you'll cast out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They will take up serpents. And I'll be the first one running out this door if the snakes show up. Just just telling you. He's, and again, this is spiritual. He's not talking about natural things here. He says, if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will see them recover. The way I say that is when I pray, things are going to happen. When I pray for somebody who's sick physically, I believe that they will be made well. Why? Because the Bible says that as a follower of Christ, when I pray for sick people, they're going to be well. When I pray for somebody who's dealing with oppression, depression, anxiety, peace has to come. You're like, why? They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. When somebody's in turmoil, our prayers can make a huge difference for people. And it just sometimes for us takes a little bit of guts to say, hey, can I just pray with you? Like I've listened to you tell me your problems for 10 minutes. But can I pray because I believe that, that God hears our prayers and God responds to our prayers. And that little seed might be a seed of the gospel that you sow. Because some of you may say, well, I don't, I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to stand up and, and preach the word of God. Like, that's not even what the word means. It actually just means to proclaim or to make it known. To make known what you believe. And so we need to go into our world. Let me say it this way. Is that our challenge, our call is to go into your world and to be the gospel to all these people around you. Not to me, because sometimes it's like, well, we, well, that's what we have missionaries for. They go into the world. Okay, well, you're the local missionary. We can send people. We'll have a, a, a fairly newer friend of mine that will be here in a couple of weeks with us, and they are missionaries. But so are you. Why? Because what is a missionary by definition? One from a foreign land who comes to share the gospel. You're like, yeah, but I'm an American. You're a Christian. Your residence is no longer identified by your address, but it's by your citizenship, which is of heaven. Therefore, that makes you a missionary. Congratulations. You're like, I don't want that. Too late. I'm sorry, but it's too late. You're already here. So you've got to go into your world and be the gospel. Why? Because you will interact and influence people that I never will. 
And so every single one of us has influence. And you're like, no, I don't. Yes, you do. The enemy wants you to believe that you have no influence. If you're a mom, you have some of the, or a dad, you have some of the greatest influence on your family, your kids, maybe of anybody on the planet. I mean, I was thinking about it when I was down here worshiping. I thought my, I mentioned earlier, I thought my seat had gotten taken. So I was standing back there and I realized I had my seat. And this was my thought. I need to go up in front of the, the kids so they can actually see me worship. I'm not doing them it for them, but they are watching. And I had the thought as a kid standing next to my dad, watching him worship, saying, oh, it's okay for a man to lift his hands. It's okay for a man to lift his voice. And my dad patterned for me a pattern to follow. And, and so it, my dad and my parents would pray. They taught me it was when you need something, you pray. Why? Because God's listening. And, and, and so even if, if you just say, well, I don't influence that many people. You influence in your house. If you never left your home and you have kids in your home, you influence them. You're shaping them and molding them. But what about out and about? We all go places. Nobody's just totally recluse, hopefully. Maybe if you're online, you need to come out into the public. But No, we all influence people. I, I thought this was interesting. I looked up the definition of influence, and it, I, I really like it. It was the first definition that popped up in Merriam-Webster. And it says, it's the power or the capacity of causing an effect in indirect or intangible ways. Sometimes your influence is not readily seen, but it's the consistency of just being who God has created you to be that influences people. So it doesn't matter if you're on your job, if you're at your kid's ball game, if you're at a gathering of friends, there are needs all around us all the time. And you're like, yeah, but I've got needs. If you'll take care of other people's needs, God will take care of yours. It's the principle, it's sowing and reaping. As long as the earth remains, last time I checked, this globe is still spinning. As long as the earth remains, there is seed, time, and harvest. You gotta sow some seeds if you want some harvest. So help somebody else out if you need help. So we have to be on the lookout. People are hurting, they're lonely, they're struggling. There's opportunities for ministry to happen all over the place right now. Yeah, I saw a video this week online and it was this person just driving by in a car and like, you know, there would be these random people. They'd roll the window down and be like, hey, are you a GQ model? And the guy's like, me? He's like, oh, you're looking good today. And it was interesting to watch the faces of these people change where they were just kind of, all of a sudden they're smiling, they're laughing. Like, man, did y'all hear about the meteor that hit? I heard two angels just landed right here in the parking lot and it's two ladies. And they start laughing. And, and, it's, and it's more, look, as believers, it's more than just being positive or being friendly. It, it, it goes much deeper than that. But I did think it was very interesting just to watch these people light up with a simple act of kindness. I think we underrate Kindness. You know, on the radio, I keep hearing them say this phrase. I've been saying it for a while now, I guess. But it says, if you can't find a nice person, be one. 
Like, we're all the nice people. How about we just make a decision? You know what? I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be pleasant. I'm going to choose to put on joy today. Because joy is a choice. I'm going to choose joy. And I'm going to live intentionally. It's not just for the, like I already said, it's not, um, it's not for the sake of just being kind. But I do know this. I'm way more apt to give somebody who's been kind to me my attention than I am someone who's been yelling threats and condemnation at me. It's the doorway. It doesn't, it's just the beginning of the conversation. See, what can happen is that we can actually, and this is what I see has happened in the church to a degree, is that we've really reduced church and made church where it's just kind of come and see. Hey, just come to church. Just come to church. I have no responsibility. If you can just come to church, God will do this. Yeah, and there's a certain degree of that. I want you to bring your friends to church. I want you to invite people to church. Absolutely. But we also need to be a go and tell church. Like we don't need to wait for people to come. Sometimes we need to give them a reason to come. I'm going to say that again. We don't need to wait for people to come. We need to give them a reason to come. And they need to see it in us and say, there's something different about you. I know lots of Christians, but there's something about you. That light shining on the inside of you. In Luke chapter 2, we see where Jesus, he's 12 years old. He's supposed to be with his family. His parents lose him for a couple days. Like, I got some questions about that one for Joseph and Mary. But, I mean, I've misplaced a child or two in my life. But never for three days. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm not trying to be prideful, but I'm just saying. But yet, when, when Mary finds Jesus... He's in the temple and he's asking questions. And the Bible says they were marveling at his understanding. And and it says that Mary's like, what are you doing? And Jesus' response is, well, wouldn't you have known that I'd be about my father's business? And she's, this is my translation. Shut up, boy. Your daddy's a carpenter. Get back to the shop. I don't know what you're talking about. But yet Jesus had a focus, even at a young age, that that he was here on purpose. You know, Jesus had to discover who he was just like we do. He wasn't just came out of the womb and be like, hello, I'm the king of the ages here to save all of mankind. It's nice to see you. Like, he had to learn. The Bible actually says that he found himself or discovered himself in the scriptures. See, I believe Jesus had 30 years of discovery. People call it the quiet years. I believe he was actually finding who he was. So it took him 30 years. So don't feel bad. You're like, man, I'm behind. Jesus, perfection took 30 years. But see, we have a responsibility. We actually have something that God has put before us as a challenge, which is to go and tell Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Share your story. You're like, well, my story's terrible. Good. Because God still loved you and God still saved you and God still redeemed you and God still brought you out of that pit. That gives hope to people that think 
that God's given up on me. Well, if he didn't give up on me, he won't give up on you. And we can, that's part of our story. That's part of what we can share with people. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, the apostle Paul is writing to his son in the faith, Timothy, here. And he gives him some instructions. He says, Timothy, my dear son. And I love this. I, I, I love the interaction of Paul and Timothy. Because it's like a father to a son, but it's also very pastoral. And I hope, and my prayer would be, is that in my preaching, even when I may be frank or direct, is that you hear it from the heart of a pastor who really does care for you and prays for you and loves you and wants God's best for you. And so I would rather be direct for clarity so that you know what I'm talking about and not wonder, what do you mean by that? Because you can't do anything with what did he mean by that? And Paul here tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, my dear son, be strong through the grace that God gives you in Jesus Christ. He says, you have heard uh, me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. That is discipleship. You need to learn so that you can teach, so that they can teach, so that they can teach. That's the way the gospel works. That's the way that the gospel spreads. The number one most effective means of evangelism today is personal. You telling your story. You sharing it with people. Now this is the part we don't like. It says endure suffering along with me as a good soldier. And Paul makes this statement, he says, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life for then they cannot please the officer who has enlisted them. I told you a minute ago that you are a local missionary. If you're so distracted by your life, you will not be able to please the one who has called you. It's what the Bible says. Look, it doesn't mean that we don't have a life. I had to sit down yesterday and started paying bills. Why? Because if I don't, they turn the power off. Sounds like a decent option some days, but get that bill and you're like, Dad, gum. Is this for my house or the neighborhood? I'm not sure. But we do have things of this life. But what he's saying here is don't be so distracted. Understand the days that you live in. Ask God for wisdom and understand and realize that there is harvest all around us if we're looking. Now, let me give you an example of this. I already kind of outed myself a little bit. Here, I don't know, a couple months ago, two, three months ago, I was trying to be super dad and prove my, my value to my wife. I know none of you men ever do these things. And I'm like, I'm going to take both kids. I'm going to the grocery store. We're going to get groceries. The house is going to be clean, like all these things, right? So we go to the grocery store, started there. And we're there, and Max and Mira are with me. And I'm going, and Max is kind of walking behind me. And so I'm walking, and all of a sudden I turn around, and I don't see Max. And I'm like, where did he go? And it was like on a Saturday. I mean, it's busy. There's lots of people everywhere and lots of things going on. And so I didn't start panicking, but I just kind of was like, all right, I'm going to turn around and go back where I was going, you know. Start looking down the aisles and looking everywhere. And 
As the seconds roll by, they feel like minutes. My heart rate starts to pick up a little bit. And I'm thinking like we were kind of in the middle part of the store, but he had said something a few minutes earlier about wanting something that he thought was in the truck. And I'm thinking he's gone to the parking lot. He could, you know, like, is he okay? Like all of these thoughts start rolling through my mind. Because I couldn't find my son. And I'm like, my pace begins to pick up. Right? I'm no longer just kind of casually strolling. I'm like NASCAR around those corners. I'm like, y'all might want to stay out my way. I don't care. I will bump you out the way. And I didn't care about the special on aisle five. I didn't care what people thought about me. I didn't care even what my wife might have to say to me if I can't find my son. All I can think about is my son is lost. And I can't find him. And so I did two or three circles and I was headed to the front door to fight because I thought he had to go to the truck. And I caught a glimpse of him out of the corner of my eyes. He turned as I'm going out the kind of going towards the front. He's taking a turn. So, of course, I, I'm like, I love you, but don't ever do that to me again. But in that moment, there was a little bit of I'm not going to say panic, but there was some anxiety. For sure. Because I'm thinking, did somebody take my son? Is he okay? Like all of these thoughts come just rushing through. And here's what I know is that I had a list of things to get. There were people all around me. But you know what? I was very distracted by that which was lost. I didn't care about where I was at on my efficiency trail of picking up, you know, I'm efficiency. I've got it mapped out. I hate looping back to come back to get something. I'm like, we're just going to do one sweep. Get everything I need. We're going to finish up at the register and out the door we go. I didn't care about all that. I was distracted by my son. Why? Because he wasn't there. And I was concerned for him. The Bible in Luke 15, we're not going to read these, but I would encourage you to go read Luke 15. It talks about the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. God is distracted by that which is lost. It's not that he loves you any less, but there is something that is lost. My daughter, who's sitting in the cart with me, was not in the forefront of my mind when I could not find my son. She was found. She was in the cart. She was with me. But I was distracted by that which I couldn't find. And yet here in Luke 15, we see the parables of the sheep, the coin. And here's the thing, that which is found is celebrated. That's why at the end of every service, I give an altar call and I ask you to celebrate, to encourage those who have just made a decision for Christ. It's actually biblical. Why? Because we want to celebrate that which was lost being found. That's why we do it. There's actual method to the madness a little bit. See, at the end of our life, God will not, he's really going to ask us one question. Which is what, or did you do what I had for you to do? That's it. Did you do what I had for you to do? And that can produce anxiety. I understand that. But it produces anxiety when we're not focused on what we should be focused on. Let me say it another way. Is that God may ask us, did you care about the things that I cared about? 
Did you really have a heart for the things that I had a heart for? See, it can produce some anxiety and we can kind of go tilt a little bit and be like, oh my gosh, God's gonna be upset with me and God, no. Turn your anxiety and that, that anxiousness and just say, no, I've got to focus. I'm here for a purpose. I'm here on purpose for purpose. You're not here by chance. You're here by design. God has placed you at the job that you have, the neighborhood that you have, the family that you have. And you're like, oh, that's all by chance. Not according to scripture, it's not. When God looked to the ages of time, he saw that now was the right time for you to live. Now, of all the time in history that you could have lived, he says now. Now's the right time. So we need to focus. Why? Because we're here for a purpose. There's an old phrase, what we do here on earth will echo in eternity. And there is truth in that because I believe that we're going to see like a, a fast forward script of our life when we stand before the Lord. There's our whole life in a, in a moment. And our life needs to count. It needs to matter. See, we all want to get to that well done, good and faithful servant. Like that's the goal. We all want to get there. Well, this is what I know is we can't get to well done unless we do some well do first. There is no done without do. That works in multiple ways. It even works phonically. So if you want to get to well done, well, well do. Stir yourself up, Paul told Timothy. He said, to to stir up yourself in your most holy faith. Why? Because you don't want to give people leftovers. You want to give them the passion of your heart and of your life that God is working in me. Actively working in me. See, this is a truth and it's a, a, a statement that people have made over the years is that the local church is the hope of the world. And while I agree with it in theory, it's not 100% accurate. Because the church inside of these walls doesn't reach the lost. I mean, I've been here for almost four years. I've yet to have one person drive up in our parking lot and say, I need to get in the church because I need to get saved. On the flip side, I've had a number of people who have brought friends who have made decisions for Christ because somebody brought them. Or I've heard stories of where somebody has prayed with their friend to receive salvation. So the hope of the world is not, or the church, the local church is not the hope of the world, but the local church mobilized in motion, in action, in deed, and in word. That is the hope. That's why we always need to be ready to give an account for the hope that we claim, that we hold to. Doesn't mean that we have to be fanatical or weird or over the top. Just be you. God made you the way that he created you. The Bible says for his good pleasure. In other words, God likes you. Just the way you are. You're like, I'm a little weird. He likes it. See, some of you can actually buy buy into the concept that God loves me. You're just not sure that God actually likes you. In your mind, God tolerates you. He loves you because he has to. 
The scriptures say that God created you for his good pleasure. I mean, you ever had that one friend with that crazy laugh? And you're just thinking like, who laughs like that? You ever been around that friend that has that laugh that just makes you laugh? You're like, I don't even know what I'm laughing about. But they're laughing. Your laugh brings joy to God and he gave you your laugh. He gave you your vocal pattern. Why? Because when you lift your voice, it doesn't sound like anybody else's. So it's worship directly to him and you touch a part of him that only you can. Like, I don't even like the way I sound. God does. That's why he created you that way. You're for his good pleasure. So we have to understand that God wants to use us to reach those around us. And so I'm going to give you three challenges this week. I gave you one last week. I'm going to give you three this week. These are simple. Again, we're talking practicals. That's my goal each week to give you some very practical things that you can do. And every one of you can do this. All three of these. Everybody smile for me. You're like, no, I hate smiling. Just smile. You just did number one. A smile is a welcoming face. Smile at people. Look at people in the eyes. How's your day? How are you really doing? I'm good. Okay, really. How are you really doing? Do you remember that video that I talked about? A girl driving down, rolled down the window and yelling compliments at people and they just lit up. You know, you can do the same thing for people, so smile at them. Why? Because it drops their guard. Communicate right with your face. You have all these muscles that God gave you. Do you know that it actually takes more muscles to frown than to smile? So your default is to smile. That's scientifically true. It's harder to frown. So smile. You look better. You know when you smile, your eyes actually open? Your eyes dilate more? Like it's pretty crazy just through the smile. What all happens? So number one, smile at people. Anybody cannot do that one? Anybody? All right. Right now, I'm batting 100%. Good. That's awesome. Number two, so smile, be kind, be kind. Again, this is underrated, but let me help you out with this. Galatians actually tells us that there are fruit of the spirit, evidences of the spirit. Did you know that kindness is one of the evidences that you have the Holy Spirit in you? Kindness. That means when somebody's nasty to you, that you respond kindly to them. Which for some of us sarcastically gifted people. I, thought, I, I forgot who. I told somebody I was going to make a t-shirt that said, uh, sarcasm is my spiritual gift. Uh, you know, I think I need that t-shirt. And, uh, but, no, but it's easy to be sarcastic. 
At least it is for me. But sometimes I need to be kind. And I need to be aware. I need to find ways to encourage people. Look for reasons to give a compliment. Look to build up, not tear down. Why? Because you're opening up people's hearts to the gospel. People that are closed with a smile and kindness. And again, we're not just being kind to be kind. We're not just, we're giving some what? Some sugar on the medicine. And here's where the third part comes in. You got to give them Jesus. You have to. It's not enough to just brighten somebody's day for a moment. You're like, well, how do I know when to do this? That's when you got to learn how to hear the voice of God. Because it may be months of smiles and kindness. And God says, today's the day. Now is the moment. I mean, last week, one of the things that that I gave you is just a practical thing. Just ask, how can I be praying for you? Why? Because that tells somebody that, hey, this this person is a believer a christian they they believe in god at least it helps identify maybe not completely but some of who you are how can i be praying for you romans 116 we looked at this verse last week we'll look at it or we'll read it again today it says for i am not ashamed of the gospel why because it's the gospel that saved me why would i be ashamed of the thing that set me free why would i be ashamed of the thing that has healed me that has restored me So why would I be ashamed? And the Bible says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is the power of God. The gospel is the power. You don't have to provide the power. The gospel, the good news is the power of God unto salvation. You're just trying to create the soil conditions proper so that somebody can respond to the gospel. You know, we have these little generosity cards out there at the information center. A couple months ago, it was kind of a random day, but I had my son and he wanted to go eat at a particular restaurant. And I didn't want to go to that particular restaurant that day. I'm just like, I don't want to go there. But I've got my son. It's just me and him. A lot of times we're together or I have both kids or we're all four together or whatever. But this particular day was just me and him and I'm. He loves waffles and bacon, you know, and so he's like, that's what I want. I'm like, you want any, I'll I'll buy you anything else. He's like, no, that's what I want. That's it. And I I mean, I'm like, it's like, golly, I don't want it to go. I just wasn't in the mood for that that day. But I went because I love my son and I'm like, you know, he's going to be going back to school pretty soon. We're not going to have these days much longer, so forth, so on. So I go, and so we're sitting there, and lo and behold, this guy walks up, takes our order, and I'm like, he looks kind of familiar. Wasn't really sure about it. And uh, so he kind of keeps coming back and taking care of us, doing all this stuff. And by the end of our lunch, I was convinced that I knew this guy that we had met. I wasn't 100% certain. I just wasn't, I mean, I was like 90%. You know, I'm like, golly, I think that's this guy that I have in mind. And I wasn't sure, but it was actually a guy um, that I had had a lot of interactions with about a year ago. And I kind of, we'd lost touch, this and that. And, uh, and I wasn't sure if it was him. But I just thought, well, I'm going to leave a nice tip. That's kind. And I took one of those little generosity cards and 
wrote a little note on there, and I left it in with my ticket. About an hour later, he texts me. He said, hey, pastor, I don't know if you remember me, but I'm so-and-so. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but I, I waited on you guys at lunch. And I just wanted to say thank you. Because I needed this reminder today that, that people were on my side. And that God was for me. We could all do that. We can all do that. And that was it. There was no like grand, like there's no, that, that's the end of the story. But I, what I know is on that day, that guy needed a reminder. And it's a part of his journey. And for whatever reason, I mean, maybe my son was motivated by the smell of the Holy, or the, the power of the Holy Spirit. The smell of syrup and bacon, I don't know. But what I didn't want to do that day, God turned into an opportunity. Where I didn't want to be that day, God said, I have an assignment. And I'm clueless. And what I'm encouraging you to do is to look up. The harvest is plenteous. It's right before us. there for everyone it's attainable for all of us so i want to encourage you we've got to be the gospel if we remember if we want to get to well done we got to do so i want to equip you with just some practical ways of how you can share your faith of how you can make a difference grab some of those little generosity cards they're out there in baskets grab as many of them as you want i keep a couple in my wallet just so i have them with me all the time i can tell you multiple times of where i've used those things just as a reminder to people. They're a great little tool. Just to reach people. And so I want to pray this morning. Number one is that God's going to open our eyes to see the opportunities around us. And then he's going to give us the boldness to take the step of faith when he instructs us. And then if you're here this morning and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. So let me pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this time that we've had together. Father, I thank you for your goodness and for your grace. Father, I thank you for your presence that's in this place. That, Father, just like a car would come into a pit stop to be uh, refilled and and to be uh, just get a quick tune-up. Father, I thank you that even as we're in church today, Father, I thank you that you're refreshing our souls, filling up our spirits, because we've got a job to do this week. So, Father, I thank you that you're equipping us by your grace, by your goodness on the inside of us. Father, I thank you that you're opening our eyes to see the lost and the hurting, the lonely, the discontented, those who are struggling around us. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts to hear you and to respond to you. Give us the boldness and the the faith to be able to, to speak up when the time calls to speak up. So, Father, I thank you for your grace, your ability to be on every one of us. You know, you you may be here today and...